So glad for all of you that are here today. Thank you for coming and being a part of our service. If you're joining us by internet, we're delighted that you have joined us today. And I pray that you are blessed by the word of God. We are excited to have our good friends Danny and Margaret Whitley with us. Pastor a great church in uh, Searcy, Arkansas. And uh, this man is being used to speak all over the country. Recently spoke at Because of the Times, a minister's conference in Louisiana, preached a fabulous message. He's going to be speaking at our camp this summer in uh, Ocala. But we're delighted that he's here in Palm Bay with us at First Pentecostal Church today. You're going to be blessed by the Word of God. Would you welcome Pastor Danny Whitley. God bless you. Got it. Oh, good morning. Oh, so good to be with you guys today. What a wonderful looking crowd this morning. Uh, and what a great church you have. Amen. I can sing that song all day. I, Sister Lisa thinks that I'm angry all the time. I tell her I'm just quiet. The joy is deep down sometimes. But, but I don't know. That one gets in me. I like to... I, that makes me happy. That song makes me happy. And if I could sing, I would just sing it right now. But I can't, so I'm going to preach. Okay. All right. We're glad that, uh, that Brother Myers saw fit to allow us to come here today. Um, try to minister best we can uh, to you folks. And it is a, obviously a, a tremendous privilege of mine uh, to be here. My wife is sitting over there. You need to meet her. She's the brains of the operation. And, and everybody says that, but I mean it. Um, <clears throat> in our house... And so, and I'm going to try to preach something to you this morning. Um, I brought this message along, and I, I never, I preached it one time a long time ago in our church. Um, I say a long time ago, it's been several months. Um, and if I could just be honest with you, it didn't go that well. <laughs> well you got to tell the truth in church. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it kind of it's stuck with me. It, it hasn't uh, I haven't been able to shake loose of it. And I kind of brought it as an afterthought. To, to Brother Myers mentioned something to me about preaching from paper, not using uh, the iPad, and I don't do that. So I was throwing a few things that I might mention, a few thoughts that I might bring, and this one just worked its way into the pile. And uh, couldn't get away from it, so I'm going with it. Hope you don't mind. You'll like it or you won't like it, and I'll be out of here pretty soon. You got to come back tonight, though. Oh, you'll be glad you came tonight. Amen. No, this is this is. I I, I feel like there's something that needs to be said here. Uh, I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse nine. Um, pretty familiar. Um, parable that Jesus tells. You have to understand something about parables, folks. And they ain't real. Okay, they're not true. They're true in principle. The, the principles that Jesus is... And by the way, parables were pretty much the exclusive teaching method of the Lord. Okay, In fact, Mark chapter 4, he said he spoke unto them not without a parable. 
In other words, he spoke, every time he spoke, he used parables. But they were made up stories. They're fictional stories. And so he spake to them this parable uh, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So the parable begins. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Not a real story, a fictional story. Although I'm sure two men have gone into the temple to pray, but these two guys were made up. Two men went into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee. The other, a tax collector, a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee. There's your, your perfunctory humility. I thank thee that I'm awesome. I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this loser in the corner over there. But I thank you that I'm so awesome. I fast twice in the week. I give tithe of all I possess. And the publican standing before him, mind you, have to keep in mind as we read this, this is fictional. I fast twice a week and I pay tithe on everything. And the publican standing afar off, he's way back there somewhere, as far away as you could get, in a corner. The publican standing afar off, everybody say afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote his breast he's beating himself he's literally hitting himself in the chest saying god be merciful to me a sinner i tell you this fictional man went down to his house justified rather than the other fictional man for everyone that exalteth now we're getting real Pass the parable. Everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Amen. God bless you all. Please be seated for a little while. Um, I'm going to break some news to you this morning, and I, I hope I don't... Um, Brother Myers is the pastor, and if I say anything that um, in any way conflicts with anything he would teach you, please... Uh, refer to him uh, but uh, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible okay there's nothing uh, uh, I, I googled sinner's prayer one time it was uh, I think it was two million two hundred forty thousand versions of sinner's prayer uh, equal uh, roughly equal to the number of preachers um, And the reason that there are so many uh, is because, you know, everyone is free to make up their own. Um, because, um, like I say, there is no biblical model for the sinner's prayer. So virtually every preacher, every church has his own twist on, on that. It's okay. But for the most part, with few exceptions, I have never found anything wrong with the sinner's prayer. Um, you know, I'm a sinner. Okay. I need the Lord. and good. There's nothing wrong with it. And we should never substitute it for the plan of salvation. Somebody say Amen. But it's, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it, per se. 
And, but it, it, and I guess, as I say, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, but I guess if you were going to um, find one in the Bible, this is as close as it gets, is this. And it was not even real. It was fictional. And really, uh, Jesus here is, as his parables were wont to do, uh, I don't, you read the prayer of the, of, the, of the Pharisee. Oh, God, I thank you that I am so great and that I pay so much tithe and that I fast so much. And that I'm such a good person. Now listen, I know there's some real jerks in religion. There's real jerks in Pentecost. Uh-oh. There's jerks everywhere, you know. But I don't know anybody who prays like that. God, I thank you. Come on. That is a caricature prayer. Jesus is going as far to one side of the spectrum. He said this parable is about who? It is about those people who trust in themselves that they are righteous. And so he conjures this ridiculous prayer that the most arrogant person in the world might pray. That if you could wrap every, every proud, prideful, arrogant, obnoxious trait into one human being and make a cartoon character out of him, this might be what he would pray. God, I thank you that I pay so much tithe that I'm so great and I never do anything wrong. Now, I don't know anybody that prays like that. I've been in a lot of prayer rooms in my life. I've listened to a lot of public prayers and private prayers and prayed a few myself. Some of them good, some of them not so good, but I've never heard anybody pray like this guy. This is clearly fictional. But it is to... Drive home a point. He is, he's, he's pulling two caricatures out of thin air. One so prideful and arrogant that he's, that he's caricaturistic of, of pride and arrogancy. Now, he goes to the other side and he says there's a guy who's standing afar off. And his head is down. And he would not so much as lift up his eyes. And while his head is down, I don't know how you hit yourself in the chest with your head down without hitting yourself in the nose. But he does. He's pounding himself on his chest with his head down, standing way off in the corner somewhere. And he's pounding himself. I told you this didn't go very well when I tried it before. I'm depending on you guys to help me. He's got his head down and he's thumping his chest and he's, he's saying, Oh, God! Oh, have mercy on me! I'm no good! I'm a sinner! Now, that's the far other extreme. Now, there may have been, I may have even prayed a prayer like that a, a time or two in my life, but by and large, that's not how folks pray. Even when you have sinned, you go before the Lord in humility and you say, God, I need your mercies and I need your grace. There's very little uh, chest beating, even less nose beating. And, and so I think Jesus is deliberately trying to present them with this dichotomy, with this two far extremes of the one who is so arrogant and self-absorbed and the other which is so downtrodden and put upon and uh, so condemned by his sin that he would not even lift up his eyes. And so you have two far extremes. And Jesus was not really, if you want a model prayer... Go to Matthew chapter, uh, to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus gives them the model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, how, he said, when you pray, pray like that. Right? Come on, need your help. 
that when you pray, pray like that. Neither of these are the model prayer. Neither of these. These are too far extremes. The model prayer Jesus kind of gave us, he said, you pray like that and you'll be all right. Uh, And so when it comes to repentance, he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's, That's how you approach him. It's not beating up on yourself. It's not when you're not, but again, for the purposes of the parable, we got it. We understand. He made two far extremes. He reached way out on both sides. And then he said this, comparing the two, this man went down to his house justified. Not that he prayed the model prayer, not that that's the way necessarily that we're supposed to pray, but he said this man was justified rather than this guy. This guy went home absolutely the same way, if not worse, than he came. Now, we have in in ministry, we have in preaching and in study through the years, we have extolled this man, this one who's far off. Obviously, we know who the villain in the story is. Nobody likes jerks. Right? Nobody likes arrogant people who are full of... Do you like people like that? If you do... You might be one. (laughs) Nobody likes this guy. We don't need to talk about this guy. Although Jesus said this guy was the one that the parable was actually about. The man in the far was kind of, because he said the parable was about those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. The other man was incidental to the story. But he became the hero of the story because everybody hates this guy so much. So there he is in the back, way far away. In the back corner, in the dark recesses of the sanctuary, there he is. And he's beating himself for what he's done. And he's crying for mercy for what he's done. And I'm thankful that the Lord finished the story. He told us which man's prayer was honored, which man's prayer was ignored. These two exaggerated expressions of two exaggerated attitudes got their point across we get it he that humbleth himself shall be exalted but he that exalts himself shall be abased we get the story we understand the point but here's the deal here's the problem we have left that man First of all, we've kind of glorified his prayer, which was never intended in the story. It was of the two extremes, which is preferable. Let me say that again. That was never the model prayer. But of the two extremes, that one is preferable. That's the whole message Jesus was conveying in the parable. Of the two, if you're going to be one extreme or the other, be over here beating up on yourself and sit over here glorifying yourself. That's the story. That's the message. But here's the problem. We have left him back there in that corner for 2,000 years. He has served a 2,000 year sentence of chest beating and shame and regret and being far off as as if there is something virtuous about being far off or there's something virtuous about punishing yourself 
We have left him there serving it too. That's where he is this morning. And that's where, it's where he'll always be. But that's not where Jesus put him. Jesus said, he went home. Justified. He's not beating his chest anymore. His head is not down anymore. We need to get him out of that corner. And we need to bring him nigh. His is not the model prayer. For heaven's sake, even that, even that extreme example of a, a, a prayer of repentance is honored with justification. He's not there anymore now, so we need to stop. We never really have venerated that man. We have extolled that act of contrition, that act of shame, that act of guilt and regret as if there was something virtuous and there is when I thank God that when we have sinned and when we have violated his laws, I thank God that there's a red light that goes off in our head and all of a sudden we're compelled to find a place of repentance and if you hadn't, if you don't feel that then you need to really press your way into an altar this morning before you go home and pray God that you would get that alarm system re-rigged in your gizzard so that when something happens and sin invades into your life that you will be a and drive yourself to an altar of prayer. We understand repentance and we understand that, but this, this extreme expression of shame, this extreme and relentless and endless expression of shame that to the degree that the man in our minds and in our hearts is still there and he is the model of contrition for us, but you need to understand what Jesus said. That's not where Jesus left him. Jesus left him justified. Jesus left him liberated. Jesus left him with his head up. Jesus left him lifting up his eyes and lifting up his hands. Jesus left him strong. Jesus brought him out of the corner and brought him into communion and fellowship with the Almighty. That's where we need to understand that he is. We, he, he's finished. He's served his sentence in the corner. So my message this morning is the corner. That's my Subject this morning, the corner. We feel at home in the corner. We feel safe in the corner. It's, it, is kind of, it is kind of twisted, isn't it? But that's where we feel safe. We feel afraid to come near, to lift up our eyes, to approach to the throne of God boldly. We're more comfortable there reveling in our past failures and our sins and expressing expressing contrition for them. Are you with me this morning? Am I right? Am I right? As much as we hate sin, we love to revel in the contrition and how sorry we are. But no, lift up your head this morning. You have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Come on here. It's time to come out of that dark corner and quit beating yourself. Yes, yes, the appropriate amount of chest beating is all right. But once God has forgiven and you are cleansed of your sin by the precious blood of Jesus, draw near. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Worship in spirit and truth. You're as qualified as anybody. You're as qualified as anybody. I invite you out of the corner. I invite you to quit pounding on your chest. I, I, I invite you to quit punishing yourself. I invite you to come near. I invite you to worship. I invite you to dance before the Lord. I, I invite you to rejoice for those sins that have dragged you down, have been remitted, and you have been justified. You have been sanctified. Hallelujah. By the name of our Lord and by the Spirit of the Almighty. Come near. 
Come near. Come out of that corner. Come out of that corner of self-flagellation. Come, 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 come. Come out of that corner of shame. Come out of that corner of guilt. There's a place at the table. Are you? There's a place at the table for you. And there is a need for appropriate amounts of contrition. There are needs for appropriate amounts of chest beating. There are needs for appropriate amounts of standing far off. There is a great need, and it needs to be a revival of reverence in our time. You don't get to come in here and throw your feet up and say, here I am, fix me, Lord. And be all right with me. Change your mind about a few things till you agree with me on them all. And you know, that's nasty and that's no good, but you don't need to serve a life sentence in the corner. This may well have been a commentary on the law. The law never achieves righteousness, it only defines it. This might well have been a commentary on the law in its, as it was practiced at least, in its impotence as a means of redemption. The law, if that's all you have, it will leave you in the corner. It will leave you beating up on yourself for your failures. But I'm thankful that one fulfilled the law and then forgave me. Uh, the law, if that's all you have, the law as it was practiced by those guys in that time did nothing to leave you. And here's, here's, the, here's the real uh, shame of it all because the law as it was practiced by those cats left the honest man in the back, in the corner, beating up on himself because he was honest. I'm a sinner. It left the pompous hypocrite up in the chief seats saying how awesome he was. So you see, the law as a means of producing righteousness was impotent. It only defined righteousness. It never produced it. And if, if the law was the means of, of salvation, this is how it turns out. The honest people are the people beating themselves up and the dishonest people are the ones who are being exalted. Now let's make sure we never get there. How about that? This is more of a commentary on the law's ability to produce righteousness and to produce justification, and it can't. It leaves honest people, repentant people, alone in the corner. But, but, the law has been fulfilled. And we are redeemed not by corruptible things as silver and gold, not by things of the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who invites you to come nigh. He invites you to step forward. He invites you out of the corner. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make, as he quotes from the prophet. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. After what days? After the days of that law. Saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now look at verse 18. For where remission of these is, there is no more offering. He's talking to those under the law. He said, come on, stop it with the lambs already. Send your goats home, let them live. And he's telling the guy in the back corner, for heaven's sake, mister, quit beating up on yourself. You've been justified. There's no more offering. You don't need to do it again. 
You are delivered from the corner. You're delivered from the darkest recesses of the sanctuary. You're delivered from self-condemnation. Come, draw nigh. There's no more offering to be made because you've been justified. You've been justified. You've been justified. There's no more offering for sins. Come on. I know, I know that there's been some darkness in your life because you're human. I know there's been some sin in your life because you're human. And there's some things that any one of us wouldn't stand up until the darkest moment of our lives. There's not a one of us who would stand up and probably proclaim the worst thing we'd ever done. And you can choose if you like. You can choose to continue to punish yourself for that. Or you can lift up your eyes. Don't ever go back to that corner. There's no more offering for sin. He says in verse 19, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You come into the very inner sanctum the very holiest place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and then having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water could you clap your hands to the Lord and thank you for repentance and baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that will sprinkle your conscience and allow you to draw near with full assurance of faith I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you are this morning. As I said in the first service today, I don't know hardly any of you. Just a couple. So I don't, you don't have any fear of me trying to read your mail. But I suspect this morning there are some of you that are living in the closet. And there are some of you that are living in the corner. You want deliverance. You have been delivered. To enter into the boldly into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You can draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful. David's prayer was revolutionary. It was revolutionary for its time. He looked beyond law and saw redemption. And it didn't even really exist the way that he saw it at that time. But he looked beyond all of that in his, his prayer after he had been caught in some pretty ugly stuff. I don't know what you did wrong, but I know you did something wrong. And I also know that whatever you did wrong, it wasn't what like, like this guy did wrong. <laughs> If it was worse than what this guy did, let me know who you are. I might, like the wise man, go home a different way. This guy was a murderer, an adulterer, a double-crosser. He killed Uriah because he slept with his wife. Not because Uriah slept with his wife, but because David slept with Uriah's wife. And then he has him killed, snuffed out, in the most cowardly way imaginable. Treachery and cowardice on a level that is unimaginable. And you read the 51st Psalm, Brother Myers, and yeah, there was, there was an appropriate amount of chest beating. Yes, David did acknowledge his sin. Yes, he did. 
He said, my sin is ever before me. But he didn't stay in that corner. If you begin reading, he said, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and, and be clear when thou judgest. But behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin, my mother did conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And so he's doing a, an appropriate amount of chest beating. And yes, he's hung his head for shame for what he has done. But in verse 7, he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. If you purge me, I'll be clean. I won't be guilty anymore. I'll be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, then, then you can use me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways because I am a transgressor and I know the way back home. I know the way back home. And I'll teach others you can use me. You can lift your head and you can come on no matter how deep in the pit you may have been. suffer another day in that corner. You don't belong in that corner. Don't come to church with your head down. Go to church with your head up seeing that we have a great high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4 that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but at all points was tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore Come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. There's no reason, there's no reason for you to leave here without the victory down in your heart. There's no reason for you to leave here without that joy down deep in your soul. Mm, you give me joy down deep in my soul. And I'm as guilty as the guiltiest one here. But he'd give me joy. He'd give me boldness to enter in. The law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. By which we can draw nigh to God. The day that covenant was introduced. That he spoke about. He's, remember when we read a moment ago about he was going to write their, his laws in their hearts. Talking about another covenant that he would make. And the day that covenant came to fruition in Acts chapter 2, an amazing thing happened. Now, if there ever was anybody that did anything worse than what David did, and David was a, he was a stinker. Well, we finally found some guys that did something worse than what David did. And they were there on the day of Pentecost. And he says to them, there in Acts chapter 2, in verse 36, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly. You need to know this for sure. 
This isn't conjecture. This isn't hearsay. This isn't my opinion. You need to know this and know it for sure. That God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He said, here, you people did the worst thing in the history of things. You crucified Jesus. And let every one of you know, let everybody know that everybody knows that you killed Jesus. That's bad. Now, if I'm there that day, you're talking about the corner, Brother David. You're talking about the corner. I'm, I'm back in the This wasn't Uriah the Hittite. This was Jesus the righteous, the most innocent man who ever lived. And he's now fingered me as, the, as a, being complicit in the murder of the most innocent man that has ever lived. That's pretty bad. But these guys did the smart thing. They ran to Peter and to the rest of the apostles and he said, what do we do? What do we do? And Peter said, repent and repent and repent and repent some more. Get yourself back in the corner and repent. Or you hit yourself a little hard. Repent, 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 repent. No. He said, repent. Then be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of those sins. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for this promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call out of that corner, he's calling you out of that corner right now. You belong here. You belong in this house. You belong here. You belong here. You deserve to be used. He's going to use you to teach transgressors his ways. Hey, come on, could you clap your hands to the Lord right now? Repent, yes, then be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, and then you shall receive the gift. Everybody that's far off, everybody who's heads down, everybody who's defeated and demoralized. Hello, my name is Bob. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I'm a wife beater. I'm a thief. I'm always far off. Can't ever lift my head. Every time I want to lift my head, somebody makes me repeat it. And I'm not against the programs. You're not those things. Sorry, you're not those things. You've been... You've been delivered. You've been released. You've been called from the corner. Don't serve a lifetime in that corner. Just saying, i got to make it one more day. No. No, there's a way out. There's a way that you could actually be one who teaches others to come out of that corner. Bye. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, whereunto we are now risen with Him full, and, and through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. 
and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross that baptism that it, circumcision made without hands that he talked about Peter talks about he said the like figure like, like the, those that were saved by water in the days of Noah the like manner baptism doth also now save us not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but of an answer of a good conscience don't repent and repent and repent and repent and repent and be baptized don't repent and repent and repent and repent and repent Repent and be baptized. Yes. Call it on the name of the Lord, washing away your sins. That circumcision made without hands, though you were dead in your trespasses, you've been made to draw nigh. Given an answer of a good conscience towards God. I'm inviting you this morning, if you've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I suspect most of you have, but if there's one in this place, you would like to get that monkey off your back. You would like to be able to lift your eyes for a change. You'd like to be able to have the joy. Go have those sins completely washed away. Come out of that water to, walk, to rise and walk in new life and be filled with His Spirit. Come on, church. This is the method. That is the one sentence. I got, I, got to, I got to show you something here, and I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. In verse 36, he says, he, he convicted them of the worst crime that's ever been committed. You killed Jesus. That's, don't get worse than that. And in verse, and in verse uh, 39, he says, the gift is unto you, unto your children. There's only one sentence between those verses. In one verse, he convicts them of the worst crimes that's ever been committed. And, and, and one sentence later, he's saying, oh, gifts. You wouldn't believe it. It's awesome. I want to know what was in the middle of that. What takes people from the worst depths of guilt and shame to the highest? There's only one sentence that'll do that, and that is this one. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's all that stands between the head down and the self-flagellation and the, the open reception of the gifts of the Almighty. They are yours today. They are yours today. Come out of that corner. Come out of that corner. Religion has painted you into that corner. Religion has cooped you up in that corner. And you have felt the shame of the stairs of so many. But you come out this morning. That's baptism. That, that, that repentance and baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is for you. And you can draw near. And you can be whiter than snow. Do you believe what I've told you this morning? I've come to liberate you from the corner. The corner of God's house. The house of God is not here just to show you how far away you are. But to offer you a way to draw near. Lift up your eyes. Stop hitting yourself. To drop the sinner label. And wear the justified label. Preachers can be awful. You don't have any awful ones here. But preachers can be awful. I've been exposed to some crazy things. The first recording, and I'm going to close, but I'm going to read a, from the boring book of Nehemiah. The first record of expository preaching. 
First time it was ever mentioned in the Bible were expository preaching. You know, expository means it was exposing the truth of the text. And Nehemiah, you know the story of Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall, and I won't, I won't bore you with all this. This is a little bit of a lengthy reading, and I'm, when I'm done, I'll, I'll be done, okay? So y'all just... It's only 12 verses, but some of them are kind of long. Should I do this? Oh. Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people gathered themselves together in verse 1 as one man. All the people, they gathered together into the streets and before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women. This is the first recorded, the first recorded uh, example of expository preaching. They bring out the law like they always brought out the law. This time it got, it got a little crazy up in there. This time something went crazy. And he read verse 3 therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. You think I'm preaching a long time. Before the men and the women, those that could understand the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood that they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood, oh boy, it gets difficult here with all these names, Mattathiah, and Shema, and Anariah, and, 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 and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Maseiah, and uh, on the right hand, and on the left hand, Pedi, and uh, Mishael, and Malchiah, these are the cats that were there, y'all are you interested, let's skip it, let's go to verse 5, and Ezra, <laughs> and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Y'all need to be standing up right now. We're going to reenact it. Come on. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm about to close. He opened the book. And when he opened the book, all the people stood up. My, my, my. What verse in my home? Yeah. Six. All the people answered. Oh, no, no, verse 6. Oh, God. The people stood up, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. 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 Well, that sounded good. Let's try it again. Amen. Y'all try that every once in a while when your pastor's preaching. I know y'all do. Y'all are good. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, you're starting to have church here in Nehemiah's uh, time. He says, with lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Yeshua and Benai and Sherai and Jamin and Achab and Sabathiah and Hadijah and these other guys. <laughs> and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. So they stopped the reading and somebody says, this is what he's saying. And he began to preach it to them. And they were going. They just stopped, paused the reading. They said, I don't think they understood what I was saying. So let's explain it to them. So they explained it to them. And oh man, you got expository preaching going on in here. And where was I at? Eight? No, no. Verse seven. It says they caused the people to understand the law 
and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, you had preaching maybe for the first time. You had somebody on a pulpit made of wood, made for the purpose. And he's preaching, and that's what happens in this house every week. Somebody stands behind this pulpit made of glass. Made for the purpose. And he's preaching to you, and you need it every once in a while to say, Because it's not just reading the book, but it's giving the sense of it, so you can understand what is written. Thank God. And the man, the, 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 the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8 is clopping along by, in his chariot. And, and Philip comes running up beside him and said, man, do you know what you're reading? He said, I have no idea. How can I understand? He's reading Isaiah 53. And he don't have any idea what it means. Is this about himself or some other man? Philip said, I'd love to tell you. Let me get up in there with you. And Philip preached to him, Jesus. He, he read the text and gave him the sense of it so that he could understand it. And before it was over, he said, there's water. What could keep me from being baptized? Because real preaching is going to lead you to justification, not condemnation. Real preaching will take you from a place of confusion to help you to understand it. You need to say, Amen. Amen. I got to calm down. This is going better this time. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the, re- the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the, the Tishara, Tishartha, uh, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. More not, nor weep, because the true preaching of the true word of God will not leave you in the corner. Yeah, your head is down. You're worshiping the Lord, but your head is down. He said, stop that. Quit mourning and quit weeping. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And when he said unto them, he said, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions of them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're not going to find any strength in that corner. You're going to find strength as you charge into the holy place. You're going to find strength as you rejoice and magnify the great king. Hey, hey, hey. Your strength is not in the corner, and I'm inviting you out of the corner. And so the Levites steal the people, saying, hold your peace. For this day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions, and to make great myrrh, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. If you understood what I said to you today, you can't help but rejoice. Come on, somebody charge out of the corner. Somebody charge out of the corner right now and say, I'm I'm coming to the holy place. Charging boldly before the throne of grace, and I've attained mercy, found grace to help in time of need, and I am justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I am drawing near. Don't live your life before all. Today, today, and as I close, today, I stand here in this pulpit made for the purpose, calling you out of the corner, calling you to lift up your head, calling you to not hit yourself another time. I'm calling you to justification, to sanctification, to righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost to everybody, even those who are afar off. God bless you all. And everybody said...
Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I think we need to come out of the corner. We need to come down to the front. We need to lift our hands. We need to lift our voices. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. You said, I don't feel glad. If you'll rejoice, you'll get glad. Come on, God's calling you right now to a place of freedom, to a place of worship. All of you that are in the back, I want y'all to come. Everybody's coming out of the corner. Step out from where you're standing. Get out in the aisle. Find a way to move toward the front. And in one voice and in one accord, we're going to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, come on, won't you lift up your hands and your voice right now? Would you rejoice in Him? Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you, Lord. You've not left me where I was. But I can come nigh unto you. Hallelujah. I can come close unto you. Who breaks the power in the name of Jesus.
never been baptized in Jesus' name, I want you to know we are ready to baptize you this morning. There's no reason for you to just continue a cycle of sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. At some point, come on, let's get baptized and arise in the newness of life and live an overcoming life. Hallelujah. You know, all this month we've been talking about rejoice. We're going to keep on talking about it. But one of the integral parts of understanding the joy of the Lord is my strength is understanding that there is a God, hallelujah, that can deliver us. Not give us some sort of a temporary fix, but give us a permanent deliverance. That's where we get joy from. That's where we get that joy in our soul. Oh, hallelujah. If you've never, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, right where you're standing right now, you can lift up your hands and begin to worship God and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. If you want to be baptized, we'll baptize you. If you need the Holy Ghost, lift your hands where you're at and you'll be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. If you need God to give you a double portion of joy, you begin to bless the Lord right now. And God will give you unspeakable joy. If you need to go, you're dismissed in Jesus' name. And we'll see you tonight at 6.30. God bless you in Jesus' name.